Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us.
Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about what increases our risk for developing a problem. You'll learn if there's a specific gene for alcoholism, how genetics influences your risk for developing a problem, and how your life experiences influence the risk. By the end of this episode, you will have a good understanding of what factors could potentially align in someone's life to create a problem, one reason why we can't become take-it-or-leave-it drinkers, and why some people are much less likely to ever develop a problem. So let's dig in. Addiction is estimated to be about 50% genetic and 50% environmental. There isn't an alcoholic gene that if you have it, it means that you're going to develop a problem with alcohol. There are many genes that can either increase or decrease our risk for developing a problem. Same thing with our childhood experiences, traumatic experiences, having another mental illness, and the level of stress that we have as adults. Having a traumatic childhood doesn't mean that you're fated to develop an addiction, it just increases the risk. The more things you have that increase your risk, the more likely it will be for you to develop a problem. On top of that, we don't all carry the same exact genes. We all have genes for enzymes that process alcohol, but there are different variants, meaning that some of us have enzymes that work more efficiently, and others have slower enzymes. So this is true for all of our genes. Just like we all have genes for our hair, skin, or eyes, we don't all have the same hair color. Some of us have skin conditions, some of us don't. And not everyone's vision is the same strength. Genetics can increase our risk for developing a problem in a few ways, by influencing the speed that we break down alcohol, the amount of endorphins and dopamine that the brain releases in response to drinking, and the amount of alcohol-induced changes to the brain's reward system. So let's go over all of these. There are two enzymes that process alcohol. The first converts alcohol into acetaldehyde, which is 10 times more toxic than alcohol is. And the second enzyme converts this into acetate, which is similar to vinegar and not dangerous for us. And then eventually it will become carbon dioxide and water and be eliminated from the body. Some people have a slow second enzyme, which allows acetaldehyde to build up in their body and make them feel horrible. This could cause things like facial flushing, headaches, nausea, and a racing heart. If you feel terrible every time you drink, then it's pretty likely you're not going to abuse alcohol. On the other hand, if you have a very efficient second enzyme, then acetaldehyde doesn't build up in your body nearly as much, and you're probably going to feel great while you drink. If you feel good and process alcohol well, then you're more likely to drink a lot and drink more often. So the genetics here contributes to how you feel while you drink, which is an important factor in how much you drink and how often you'll drink. When we drink alcohol, endorphins are released, and these interact with opioid receptors, leading to the release of dopamine, and this makes us feel good. As someone abuses drugs and alcohol, changes happen to the brain's reward system. The body will actually release more endorphins than required, which causes more dopamine to be released and a greater amount of euphoria. This just reinforces our belief that drinking is good for us because it feels really, really good to our brain. 
Animal studies have found that some strains of mice have more alcohol-induced changes to their brain's reward system than other strains of mice. So just like there are different variations of the same gene, the brain may respond differently to alcohol depending on our genetics. If you're someone who doesn't have many alcohol-induced changes to the brain's reward system, then that decreases your risk for developing a problem. But if you have a lot of alcohol-induced changes to your reward system, then alcohol might continue to feel even better for you, making you want to keep pursuing it. A 2001 study looked at young, non-alcoholic individuals with and without a family history of alcoholism. So these were all people that did not have a problem with drinking. They found that people with a history of alcoholism in their family had lower concentrations of blood endorphin levels in the early morning and a greater increase in endorphin release after drinking alcohol compared to the people that did not have a family history of alcoholism. So this means that some people who are at risk for developing a problem have naturally lower endorphin levels and will have a greater release of endorphins when they drink. There are more studies that have looked at similar things and found that problem drinkers have a greater release of endorphins compared to social drinkers. This means that for some of us, alcohol feels fine and for others, it feels amazing. If it feels amazing, then you're more likely to drink. It's really important to understand that alcohol doesn't feel the same for everyone. So that is one big takeaway that I want you to have from this episode. Take it or leave it type drinkers are that way because alcohol feels good, but not great for them. That's one reason why a problem drinker can never become a take it or leave it drinker. We can't change the way that alcohol feels for us. It feels like the best thing ever, and that's why we pursue it so seriously. You can never change the way that your brain feels about alcohol, and that's why we have to stop drinking it altogether. So even if you have genes that are linked to addiction, it doesn't mean that they'll ever be turned on. Our life experiences influence the way that our genes are regulated, and this is called epigenetics. So there's one gene for an enzyme called monoamine oxidase, or MAO. This enzyme helps to regulate dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine levels in the brain. A 2008 study found that having the lower activity variant of this gene was associated with antisocial alcoholism, but only for women who experienced childhood sexual abuse. So what this means is if you have the low activity variant, meaning that your enzyme doesn't work as well, but you haven't experienced childhood sexual abuse, then you may never develop antisocial alcoholism, even though you have a gene that's linked to it. Childhood sexual abuse is a very severe trauma that causes epigenetic changes to our genes. And one of those changes is in the gene for the MAO enzyme. If this enzyme isn't regulating the feel-good neurotransmitters as well as it should be, then the person may struggle with depression and be more likely to abuse alcohol to manufacture those happy feelings because their brain isn't good at creating them. So the other 50% of our risk for developing a problem comes from our life experiences. 
These include your childhood, any trauma you may have experienced, if you watched a parent abuse alcohol or other close family member, having other mental health conditions, and how early you begin drinking. Observing a parent or close family member abuse alcohol increases your own risk. You're learning that drinking is associated with things like shame, misery, violence, fear, abuse, and that it's normal to drink that way. You didn't realize that you were forming those associations, but when you're older, those associations may influence the way that you drink, just like they could influence your resolve to never drink. Most of the research on ACE score and issues later in life has come from the CDC Kaiser Permanente Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. It was the most prominent investigation to date on how childhood abuse and neglect can have an effect on adult health and well-being. So A stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, and people that have an A score of 5 or greater are 10 times more likely to have addiction issues as an adult. People with higher scores are also more likely to experience depression. And higher A scores correlate to physical health issues too, like a higher likelihood of cancer, diabetes, or heart disease. So based on this study, having an A score of 4 or higher increases your likelihood for hepatitis by 240%, depression by 460%, and attempted suicide by 1,220%. If your ACE score is 5 or above, then the likelihood of getting prescribed an antidepressant is nearly 100%. The chances of sexual assault also increase the higher your ACE score is, with 32% of people with a score of 4 or above being sexually assaulted as an adult compared to 19% for people with a score of 3. Other mental health conditions can also contribute to your risk of developing a problem with alcohol. It's estimated that 1 in 5 people who suffer from anxiety use alcohol to cope with their symptoms. And it's a very common belief that alcohol helps us relax or alcohol helps our anxiety or that it helps us wind down after a long day. So that just leads to more drinking to cope. So overall, people that have anxiety are three times more likely to struggle with alcohol abuse at some point in their lives compared to someone who does not have anxiety. Drinking to cope with mental health conditions or with stress in your life also increases your risk because you're avoiding your problems instead of dealing with them. As we continue to drink to cope, our problems just become worse, and then we drink to cope more often, creating an emotional dependence on alcohol. And we form very strong beliefs that We can't relax without alcohol. We can't celebrate without alcohol. We can't wind down on Friday after a long week. And all of these beliefs reinforce the need to drink to cope. And last, drinking as a teen greatly increases your risk of developing a problem. The brain is developing during our teen years up to 25 years old. And binge drinking can change the way that the brain develops. These changes can make you more likely to develop a dependence on alcohol as an adult. A 2006 national survey published in the Archives of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine 
looked at about 43,000 adults who all began drinking before the age of 14. They found that almost half became alcohol dependent at some point in their lives compared to 9% of people who waited to drink until they were 21. So generally, the longer a person waits to start drinking, the lower their risk for developing a problem. So if you start drinking at 14 or younger, your risk increases from about 9% to close to 50%. So that's a very significant risk factor. But remember, I started drinking at 22. So this isn't the only factor that contributes to your risk of developing a problem or not. The age that I started drinking lowered my overall risk, but I had so many other things that increased the risk that it offset that. So overall, there are many factors that increase or decrease our risk for developing a problem. If alcohol feels amazing for you, you process it really well, you started drinking at a young age, you observed a parent abuse alcohol, and you've experienced trauma in your life, then your risk for developing a problem is very high. But on the other hand, my husband started drinking at a young age, observed adults abuse alcohol, has a lower ACE score, gets headaches and feels tired while he's drinking, and alcohol feels good for him, but not great. So all of this came together to make him a take-it-or-leave-it drinker. Even though he had a few things that did increase his risk, especially starting drinking at a young age, he didn't end up developing a problem. So if you have children who share your genetics, then that may increase their risk. But if they don't observe you abuse alcohol, have a happy childhood overall, and learn to cope in healthy ways, then you've also greatly decreased their risk. So just because it runs in families or it's happened to you and you're worried about your genetics doesn't mean that it's fated to continue down your family line. So remember, environmental factors contribute 50% of the risk. If you enjoyed this episode, what would help the most is if you could share it and let other people know about this podcast so we can get the message out there. And I will talk to you guys next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts